good afternoon, good evening, and good day. I am here today for a special non-tennis-related podcast with an author, poet, uh, Vincent Hunanyan. Hello. Good afternoon. You um, have several books out, three at the moment. Um, I stumbled across you completely by accident um, on, I think it was Amazon. I was just looking for something to read and I found the Black Book of Poems. And at the end, it very nicely says, if you read my work, reach out to me on Instagram. So I did. And that was back in February. So we've kind of had this online online dialogue going for several months. And now here we are. I'm excited about it. Thanks for joining me. Thank you very much for having me. Let's talk about you. Uh, you were born in Armenia, grew up in Russia. Yes. Landed yep. in Stockholm. Talk about that and how that's influenced your writing. Yeah, yeah, it's quite the story. Um, so, um, well, long story short, uh, back when my mom was young, it was uh, still the Soviet Union. Um, so when she decided to go uh, pursue higher education, she set her eyes on St. Petersburg in Russia, which at that time was called Leningrad. Mm -hmm. um, and so she, um, she moved at a very young age, uh, got her degree. She met my dad at the university. Um, and then they got married. And my oldest brother um, was conceived 88. And then my second brother, 90. And then I came 91, right when uh, the Soviet officially collapsed. Um, and uh, so yeah, so we grew up in uh, in Saint Petersburg for about ten years for me. Okay. Um, and uh, well, yeah, and then I should probably mention that my parents got divorced when I was maybe like three or four years old. Okay. Uh, and uh, two thousand one, we moved, summer of oh uh, one, we moved to uh, Sweden. And um, so yeah, so I lived in Sweden until uh, twenty ten. So nine years. Okay. And, um, and then when I graduated high school, I, um, I decided that I was going to go overseas and uh, pursue my own higher education. And um, at first, my mind was set on Europe, you know, okay. England, got a mm -hmm. whole bunch of good universities. But uh, I was really tired of the uh, awful weather in Sweden. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, when I checked uh, how much it rained in the UK, it wasn't very appealing. And uh, my friend, uh, my good friend, who, who also wanted to study abroad, he told me that, hey, we should go to L.A. because, uh, you know, the medium weather in Santa Monica is like 14 degrees Celsius uh, <laughs> all year. You're yeah. Right? yeah. So I said, I am sold. So, um, <laughs> so, yeah, so we applied to Santa Monica College and uh, got in and uh, actually after one semester he went back my friend so so i persevered and um, and yeah and then i think two years later i applied to ucla uh, got in got my degree and um, and graduated in 2015 
And uh, yeah, so my goal all along was, and this actually the, the, the part of the story that most people don't know about, but my plan was, you know, I was going to move to the States. I was going to get a good degree. I was going to get a job, the house, the car, you know, the whole American mm -hmm. dream. And, uh, but what happened was I got my degree and I had a really hard time uh, getting a job because uh, I didn't know this then, but uh, my level of awareness was pretty low and my attitude wasn't the best. So, you know, I blamed everything and everyone <laughs> for not getting, you know, the job I was looking for. And then I actually, um, I actually spent my last two weeks sleeping in my car. Oh. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I went from that high and then, you know, crashed pretty hard. So I slept in my car for a few weeks. And uh, finally, I said what most people do in those circumstances. Uh, I said, you know what? I've had it. I quit. And um, <laughs> yeah, so uh, very disheartened and very, you know, felt very defeated. My tail between my legs, I uh, flew back to Sweden and I uh, was pretty depressed because, you know, at that time I thought that this was, you know, some huge failure. I, um, I didn't know the difference between temporary defeat and failure, you know, sure. I hadn't begun investing in myself and, um, you know, reading books and raising my level of awareness. So at the time I was, I was very down, but my brother, uh, who had already begun his you know self-development journey he told me to start reading some books that he recommended and at the time i pretty much told him to uh, you know get out of my face because i didn't <laughs> believe in all that stuff and uh well you know he told me and he persevered luckily and he said look you can at least try to read some of these books and you know if they don't do anything for you or change your thinking that's fine was it a self-help style book what was it the first book I read was um, by Jim Rohn, and Jim Rohn was actually Tony Robbins' mentor, and um, the book was called uh, Seven Strategies for Wealth and Happiness. Mm -hmm. uh, so I read that book, and at the end of the book, actually, there's a goal-setting exercise uh, where you set your one-year goal, three, five, and ten-year goals, uh, and, and I remember I wrote down my one-year, one of my one-year goals were I was going to get a sales job, and I was going to become the number one salesman at the company. Uh, and then I had other goals like, you know, working out every day and some other stuff. Um, but I got the job. And then uh, I think two months in, I did become number one salesman. Uh, and I thought to myself, I said, shit, well, you know, maybe this stuff does work, right? Right. Um, and so uh, I started, you know, studying more, reading more books, um, attending seminars. And um, in 2015... I attended, uh, no, actually, sorry, 2016, uh, fall of 2016, I attended my first Bob Proctor seminar. Uh, and Bob Proctor, for those who don't know, he was uh, featured in that movie, uh, The Secret. Right. Uh, he was talking about the law of attraction. Right. Uh, and he's been, doing, um, he's been doing his thing for almost 60 years. So he's been helping people reach their full potential for almost 60 years. Um. So when I discovered, you know, when I found out about him, I said, well, I really need to go see this guy because he's, he's now 85 years old or even 86, I think, and he's still going mm -hmm. strong. And he has more energy than anyone I've ever met at that <laughs> age or any age for that matter. So I said, yeah, 
So I told my brothers, I said, hey, we got to go to LA because the seminar was uh, in LA. It's called Paradigm Shift. Uh, so we went there. And uh, I remember he kept saying, what do you want? What do you really want, right? Not what you think your mom wants or your spouse or your friends, but what do you want in your heart? And I remember I wrote it down in very tiny, you know, in very tiny letters that uh, I will sustain life through writing. Those were the exact words. Okay. Um, and I wrote it down so no one could see it, and I put it in my pocket. And I thought about it a lot, you know, because the seminar was pretty profound, and, you know, he's really good at what he does and, you know, provokes you to think. And uh, I went back, went back home. Um, and uh, I went back home and I quit my job. I quit my sales job. And you I started told myself, writing? Yes, I quit my job and I told myself, well, you know, you made a decision to, uh, to be a writer, so now you have to be a writer. So I quit the job and I started writing. And then um, uh, summer 2017, I, um, I went to Vietnam for two months to finish my book which would become Black Book of Poems. Uh, and I finished the book, and then I decided I was going to publish it on my birthday. Uh, and I told as many people as I could, so I couldn't back out. Yeah. Um, and I published it. I remember I published it. And uh, right uh, when I published it, the night of my birthday, I remember I thought I was having a heart attack. Um, I read that. I because, wondered how... You know, if, consciously, if I was came... thinking, well, you know, it's not a big deal. Just, you know, publish the damn book. That's it. But, you know, <laughs> subconsciously, there was, you know, things going on uh, that manifested physically. So I thought I was having a heart attack. So, you know, I uh, I drove to the hospital. Or I had a guy drive me. Are we back? Yes. Okay, very good. So, so, yeah, I had a guy drive me to the hospital. They ran all kinds of tests, uh, and they told me, your heart is fine. Um, so I went back home. So you had a good old-fashioned anxiety attack? I think so, yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. the doctors at the time told me it was a, like a severe heartburn mm -hmm. because all the symptoms were, you know, uh, were the same as a heart attack. Um, but uh, it took me a while, actually. It took me, you know, like two, two years to realize that, wait, Maybe there was a connection between you, you know, uh, going through that terror barrier of, okay, you know, I'm putting myself out there and I'm publishing this book. And not only any book, but, you know, a very intimate book of poetry. Um, and, you know, as I said, consciously, it didn't matter. I was like, you know, just do it. But, you know, deep inside, there was, a, there was something awful going on. But I went through with it and I published it. Um, and yeah, and you know, I worked a lot, worked very hard to uh, uh, for it to sell. Um, you are a self-published author. Was that your intent from the beginning? Um, well, you know, the intent from the beginning, I, I didn't really go, I didn't really look beyond, you know, what I was going to become. As I just knew I, I, that I had to write. You know, that if, if you are a writer, you have to write. Um, <clears throat> And so I knew that, you know, you could do it yourself. You can just write your book, um, you publish it online, and, and that's it. You know, people will buy it. You don't have to spend any money on inventory because it's, you know, Amazon is print on demand. Mm -hmm. You don't have to do anything pretty much, right? It doesn't cost you a dime. Um, so, so I thought, okay, well, you know, that, that would be the first step. And the fastest too, you know, 
because if yeah. you want to, you yeah, and if you want to get an agent and publishers, you know, you have to pitch an agent, you know, you have to have an outline, all that stuff. So I thought, you know, just do this and then see how that goes. And then, you know, when, when you feel ready, you can take it to the next level. Uh, so yes, yeah, so I self-published and then within a month, I think it became, um, like number one release in, in, in its category for poetry. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, then, you know, I started getting reviews because I was very on people to leave reviews. Yeah. You know, almost almost to the point of <laughs> harassment, you know, like you got to, <laughs> hey, you promised, you know, you read the book, now, you know, leave your feedback. So, um, um, so yeah, so I got some reviews going. <clears throat> the book was uh, gaining momentum. And uh, yeah, and then eventually it became a bestseller. Um, and uh, for, um, what is it, 26 months now, I think. Yeah, you're still there. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a best letter since. Um, and actually, I don't know because I haven't I haven't announced this actually uh, publicly. So this could be so actually, yeah, this is going to be the first time. Ooh, tell, I, I, tell. I yeah, yeah. So nine months ago, I went to another a seminar of Bob's. Okay. And um, and at that seminar, I uh, I set a new goal. I said, well, you know, you've been doing this for two years now, almost two years, and, mm-hmm. you know, you've done well, the book is doing great, but the time has come for you to take it to the next level, right? So now you, you, you do have to find an agent and you have to get a publishing deal so you can, you know, spread the book to all the bookstores. Um, so I came, set that goal. <clears throat> I went back home to Sweden, and two weeks after, I found my agent. Her name is Johanna. And... Uh, you know, we talked, I told her about my vision that, uh, what I had in mind, you know, that I was going to become the greatest writer of the greatest author of my generation. And, uh, she asked me how old I was. And I said, well, I'm 28. She goes, <laughs> she goes, all right, you know, you got time. And I said, yeah. And, uh, yeah. So, so I signed with her and, uh, I told her, all right, Johanna, now all you have to do is find me a publishing deal that she said, I'm on it. And f- about four months later, uh, she calls me back and um, she tells me, Vince, guess what? We got you a publishing deal. Uh, so that was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it was very Congratulations. Happy. Thank you. Yeah. So we signed with Andrew McMill Publishing. It's the same publishing house that been publishing a lot of poetry lately. Mm-hmm. Uh, they uh, also represent um, the girl who wrote Milk and Honey. Love that. Uh, Rupi. I, I was mispronounced. I thought it was Kaur, but I think it's Car. Yeah, I'm not even going to attempt it, but I've read it and I yeah. love it. So, yeah, yeah. So, um, it's the same publishing house. And actually, it was my right. idea because when I was talking to my agent, I said, Look, you know, why don't we go after uh, someone who's been in the game, not necessarily, you know, the longest, but who's been doing, you know, progress? Because AMP, Andrew Mink Publishing, they, uh, mm-hmm. I think they started out. Uh, like printing calendars and then they started you know doing books and lately for the past I think like four or five years they've been really publishing a lot of poetry books so I told that to Johanna I said well you know we should probably pitch them and we did we got the publishing deal and uh, next summer actually both books well the first book is going to come out summer and then in the fall the second one is going to come out so very exciting that is exciting. You've got a lot going on. I'm looking forward to it. I was going to ask you what, you know, when are we going to see something new from you? It's because it seems like, uh, I mean, you put out three books in a pretty short amount of time. Mm, mm. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell well, me. Hmm? Tell me about um, you. You let us know very clearly that you don't like to interpret your own poetry because you don't want that to interfere what it means for somebody else. And I really think that um, that resonates with me. And I think that's also why people don't like poetry. I, I did see an interview that you gave and you talked about that, too, kind of how it's, it's not really fair to the reader when somebody tells you what to think and feel mm -hmm. and what it's supposed to mean. Um your you say that you write about st only the stuff that you know so i want to know are are we getting a sense of the real vincent when we read your work or is this vincent the writer no no definitely me me you know uh, it's not an alter ego or something like, like that going on um so no when it comes to poetry uh, i think well, first of all, I think you have to write whatever resonates with you. I know a lot, you know, I, I know especially lately since, you know, Milk and Honey became such a uh, popular book and sold so many, you know, like I think it's like over 3 million copies she sold. Mm -hmm. uh, and it became very, you know, became very trendy to uh, quote her uh, her poetry because it's so, you know, her, most of her poetry is very short. Yes. And, uh, and, and quite, you know, to the point and, you know, very on the surface. So it was easy, I think, for people to, you know, get into it and spread it. Uh, and, and what I see now is I see a lot of young writers, uh, a lot of aspiring writers, that what they do is, you know, instead of going, going about it, going about the process uh, and writing, you know, what they feel and what they resonate with, what they do is, you know, they start copying her and, you know, the, the, you know, the way she writes and, and, you know, there's been so many books that are almost, you know, a copy of her book. Yeah. So, so I think that's, uh, you know, and actually I've been asked this question myself, you know, uh, a friend of mine said, well, well Vince, you know, the, the, your poetry is very, um, you know, you write, you know, in, in, in an old fashioned way, you know, there's rhyme, there's meter. And he said, well, you know, it, that's not the stuff that sells these days. And I said, yeah, and that's why I was so surprised that the book was actually doing so well. Mm -hmm. um, because I knew what was selling at the time and still, you know, does. And very much, you know, this free verse poetry um, uh, and very to the point and, you know, not a lot of meter or, or rhymes or actually no rhymes at all from what I, you know, been reading. Yeah. Yeah. And so when I got this, you know, question like, well, well why, you, why don't you write something similar? Well, you know, my answer was pretty, uh, was, was pretty obvious that, well, if I do write it, then, you know, it's not really me writing it anymore, you know? Sure. So, uh, <clears throat> so yeah, so whatever I write, that's 100% me. Um, and, you know, Black Book of Poems, it came about because my first actual initial plan was I was going to write a short story collection and then I was going to write a novel. Um, but at the time, poetry kind of felt uh, as the most uh, appropriate form, I guess, because I had, uh, you know, I'd, I'd broken up with my girlfriend. Um, and, uh, you know, even though by the time when, when, when we, you know, had ended our relationship, you know, I was like, yeah, you know, it is what it is, you know, all that stuff. And consciously I was like, well, you know, you just move on. But then, you know, as time went by, a lot of those feelings started creeping on you. Um, and so that's when I, uh, that's when I decided that, well, you know, th I think the best way to express all these feelings uh, and everything that's on your mind is through poetry. So, so that's why, I, you know, it was, it was more of a, I guess, 
writing Black Book of Poems for me was more of, uh, you know, it was very therapeutic, I think, you know, mm -hmm. because there was a lot of things that were on my mind um, that I kind of, you know, it's like uh, almost, um, I don't know, people, you know, they're like calling other people, talking about it. Some people see, you know, psychiatrists or, you know, whatever, you know. You but, use that for me, Exactly, exactly. But for me, it felt like, you know, if I can get it on paper and I can make it as unpretentious as I can, uh, I said, well, you know, you, you, you start from there and then, you know, you go from there. Your writing has a, from what I gather, a very uh, strong religious tone to it. Are you a religious person? Where, where, does, where does that come from? Good question. Um, <clears throat> you know, when I grew up, um, we, I mean, I, I don't, you know, we didn't really grow up in a very religious household. I mean, I was raised by, uh, you know, by my mom single-handedly. Um, and, uh, you know, maybe we went to church, you know, from time to time. It wasn't like, you know, we went to church every Sunday or anything like mm -hmm. that. But, uh, but my mom, yeah, she would, you know, but, but my mom was very, from from very early age, she would, you know, teach us right from wrong and, you know, what's ethical, unethical. And a lot of it was obviously, because I think, you know, I think most things that we consider right or wrong today, you know, it, it, it does come from the Bible, you know? Sure. Um, and so, but she would always also talk about God a lot and, you know, um, that, you know, it, that, that God loves everyone and, you know, about forgiveness, about uh, about doing the right thing, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And so when we moved to Sweden, actually, uh, there was a, a community of very lovely people who invited us to uh, to their church. And so we started attending more regularly. Uh, but it was more for us, you know, because we were so young, but we were just in our teens, you know. It, 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 for us, it was more for me and my brothers, that is, it was more of a, you know, it was a, it was a nice place to hang out, to meet new people. And yeah, from time to time, you know, you would pray and you would go places and stuff like that. But it wasn't really like, you know, it, it, it didn't become, um, I don't know, it's hard to say, but I don't think we became, if you want to call you know, we didn't become indoctrinated, indoctrinated by it. You know what I mean? <clears throat> it was more that it was more. I, I tried to take the good stuff, you know, all the good. And then some things that I was like, well, this doesn't really make sense. I would just, you know, I would just disregard that or interpret it in my own way. And I never liked the idea, you know, because at a very young age, I've, I've been very, um, um, I question a lot of things, especially growing up. So, so you know, when I found things that that you know that the priest would say or the people you know within that community would say, I was like, well, you know, that doesn't really make sense, or it's a contradiction of this or that. And I remember, I uh, <clears throat> like, for example, you know, something I found very uh, peculiar was this uh, idea of uh, you know going to church every Sunday. Or you know, and you have to pray, and you know, in, uh, and I know Catholic Church. You know, there's this, um, you know, you sit behind. Uh, well, you sit in this. Um, what do you call them? The pew. Um, yeah, yeah. And then you know, you tell you, you tell you tell your sins, and then oh, you know, when you go to confession. Confession. Yes. Thank yeah. you. And <laughs> then you know, you 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 tell the priest your sins, and you know, it tells you what to do, and then you're good. 
And I always yeah. thought that was weird because I always thought, well, you know, if God is in everyone, right, why do I need to, you know, why do I need to even talk to a priest? And why does he have to tell me what to do in order to ask forgiveness? And why do I even have to attend church, right? Because if God is in everyone, then I could just sit in my living room and, you know, pray or, you know, whatever connection I can get with God. I agree. So that was, that was, that was kind of like... Um, my sentiment about everything when I was growing up. But then as I got older and I started realizing, especially since I started studying, you know, Bob Proctor, um, I realized that, you know, God is universe, you know, mm -hmm. because in, in Christianity, we personify God as, you know, uh, and I had actually this image of God as I was growing up as like this old white dude with a, you know, big white beard, you know. Yes. Um, and I had that in my mind for a long time. And then eventually I realized, well, no, you know, you can personify God in a lot of ways. But for me, I came to the realization that, that you know, God is everything, you know. It's the, it's the universal cosmic mind or the spirit or, or, or the universe or whatever you want to call it, right? Mm -hmm. I think that is God, um, uh, you know, and we're part of the same energy. So that. that's, 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 that's the realization I, I came to. You know, later, especially as I started reading and studying. Um, but uh, but why there is so much? I remember I got a review. It said a uh, black book of poems is uh, a book with a lot of religious. I think they said sentiment, and um, I think they came from yeah. A lot of it came from my upbringing, you know. But also, I think you know i know that you know talking about religion these days especially christianity it's it's kind of like you know we're moving towards a very secular age mm -hmm. but i think and, and and i think you know you can always interpret for example if you read the bible you can always interpret it in many ways and i think yeah. the bible is such a rich book that um you know it's not one of those it's not it, it is almost like poetry you know it's not like okay you you do this and then you do that and then this is how you live your life no it's i think it's more of reading it and not taking everything you know, for what it is or what it is on the page, but you interpret it your own way. So sure. I think that, you know, regardless of, <clears throat> uh, you know, what people say about religion or Christianity for that matter, I think Christianity in its core, in its philosophy, I think it's a very, um, they have a lot of very noble ideas of, you know, love and especially forgiveness um, and, you know, and helping your kin. And of course, you know, a lot of people I know these days, when people talk about the Bible or Christianity, they say, well, you know, it used to say, you know, this or used to say that. And of course, you have to realize that, you know, it, it was, you know, it was written uh, quite, you know, quite some time ago. Right. And a lot of a lot of sentiments have changed since. Right. People t people think that just because these days, for example, um, you know, we, we see something like slavery as, as something that, you know, you don't do to another human being. Right. Or something as um, what's um, what's a good example? Um, like something um, of um, hmm, like homosexuality is another good example, right? And of course, we've progressed in our thinking, right, into into an age where we become more aware of you know uh, ourselves and the people that we're surrounded with, and we understand that you know people are people. But I think what a lot of people are missing is that well, you know. Back in the days, and I'm not saying what's right or wrong. I'm just saying that back in the days, you know, people did not think like that, right? I mean, back right. in the days, 
you know, uh, the Greeks, for example, you know, the ancient Greeks, they, 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 they didn't see any problem in, in having slaves or, you know, the Romans or right. you know, later um, the enslavement of, you know, um, Africans in America, et cetera, et cetera. But so I think that's, that's what people are missing. But I think if you look for the good, you know, whether it is the Bible or anything else, I think you'll find it. You know, you will always find what you're looking for and whatever you believe is true. So, so yeah, to answer that, I know that's a long answer, but to answer your question, yeah, I think there's a lot of religious undertones in my writing because I think, um, I think that it did influence a lot of my thinking. And again, not necessarily because I was hardcore, you know, Christian or, mm -hmm. you know, anything of that sort, but, but I think the ideas of goodness and forgiveness and love, I think all that, and, and you know, I think a lot of my poetry, especially about religion, there's some. I think they're dealing with contradiction as well, you know, within. Well, uh, yeah, within. for sure. Because I mean, the reason I wanted to ask you that is even though there's a lot of uh, religiosity in your writing, I really wasn't sure if you were a believer. I don't mm. think that part comes through. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I left that uh, like that on purpose. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But to answer a question, I mean, I am, I, I believe as I said, I do believe in God, but again, not in the traditional term of, you know, there's a man or a woman upstairs who's watching you. No, you know, not, not like that, but more of a, a universal cosmic mind in a sense, you know, that everything is everything. I believe I that. I think we probably all believe in something and just call it something different. Exactly. But it's the exactly. same. Yeah. Yeah. So when you even, when, when I read your writing, and even to listen to you speak, you are very lyrical to me. And I know oh. that when you are when you were younger, apparently there's some rap floating around out there that I couldn't get my hands on. Oh, I'm I'm so happy you didn't get your hands on. <laughs> I wanted it so bad. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I deleted everything I could find. I was like, Do you? Yeah. Do you hear that in yourself? Is that intentional or is that just, is that your core? Where does that come from? Well, I think, yeah, uh, you know, it, it, it began, you know, at a very young age, I was already very drawn to uh, artistic expression. I used to draw a lot, you know, do, you know, did, did a fair amount of painting and stuff like that. Um, and so the writing kind of, got cultivated when I was in my teens and you know hip-hop was like I, I remember Eminem was blowing up you know eight mile had come out and uh -huh. no it was um he was he was the rapper and you know back in the days especially compared to today uh, I think rap music was uh, was very much different it was it was very uh, well first of all in my opinion it was much much better uh, mm -hmm. but but you know it felt like back especially you know the reason I think so many people could connect with Eminem is because he was one of the few rappers who, you know, when he rapped, and I know that, you know, most rappers, they make things up, you know, and a lot of it, you know, a lot of rappers, you know, make everything up, but mm -hmm. it felt like he was one of the few <clears throat> that, uh, you know, when he rapped and his lyrics, they felt very genuine. And I'm sure that maybe he, you know, exaggerated a lot or, you know, made some things up. But when he rapped, and you know, with that anger, um, and 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 that flow, uh, it it was it, it was a sublime reaction to uh, 
to whatever he had going on. So yeah, so you know, all that influenced me and a friend of mine, the same friend that I moved to uh, the States with. It influenced us to, you know, well, why not write our own lyrics? And my friend had a little, uh, like a mini studio going on in his house, you know, very amateurish, but it was a mic and, you know, mixing pad. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, we started really writing lyrics and make our own beats. And uh, so, yeah, you know, because when you think about it, lyric is, I mean, in its essence, it is poetry, you know, except that it's meant to music, right? It's written for right. music. So so I think, I think, yeah, I think you're right. I think the reason my poetry is quite lyrical and, you know, uh, and has meter um is is probably because i was very influenced by uh by rap music yeah and 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 the lyrics that i wrote myself yes are you writing any music um i mean i played the guitar um you know not not too well but i played the guitar and yeah i've written some songs nothing you know nothing too serious but uh yeah I, you know i just like to take the guitar from time to time and just play a progression of chords and just, you know, improvise. That's fun. So you speak three languages that I know of. Mm-hmm. Four. Why four? What, tell, tell me what they are. Um, well, Armenian, uh, because, you know, mom forced us to, <laughs> to speak it, not to forget it. And we did. And then Russian, of course, since we grew up in St. Petersburg. And then when we moved to Sweden, we acquired that, and then, um, and then English was. I always been fascinated with English because even back in school, and you know, Sweden is very, uh, very advanced in that sense. Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, if you watch TV or movies or whatever, it's never, uh, it's never dubbed. It's always subtitled, so you always okay. hear the original dialogue, uh, and that helped me a lot actually. Because when we moved to Sweden, I mean, we didn't know a word in Swedish. And I didn't even know a word in English by the time. So I kind of learned the two languages, you know, in one almost because I would watch TV and, you know, I would hear him speak in English and I would read the subtitles and somehow it all made sense later. And, um, and yeah, so at school, you know, the, the level of uh, English that they teach in Sweden is much, much higher than I would say like maybe 99% of the world. Um, and rapping and writing lyrics and all that i think helped a lot too um so yeah so those four and then i had some german in school but it's very very rusty at this point but given that you speak four languages you choose to write in english why Mm. good question um i think it just resonates with me more you know because when i well part of it is because when i did start you know the process of writing lyrics it was english um a lot of the books I've been reading, I, I don't think I've read, I mean, I've read some books in Russian, you know, past four or five years, some in Swedish, but I would say like 95% of all the books I've been reading for a long time have been in English. Mm-hmm. And I think because I was writing in English, especially creatively, you know, not only poetry, but, uh, you know, short stories um, and school, you know, when I went to university, it was all in English. So I think that just kind of, became um became the language that just resonated with me most in your in your mind when you're talking to yourself and you're having a conversation with yourself what language is that Hmm. that's a good question actually i haven't thought about it um i think all of them 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it depends on the situation, right? And especially like if you remember something or um, if you connect with you know feeling or whatever. Um, but if it is, you know, if it is like an affirmation or if you write a gratitude list or whatever that may be, then it's English. Um, but um, hmm, here's a good question. Yeah, I think it's a mix, but mostly English and Swedish. So tell me what a day in the life of you saying, I'm going to write today. What does that look like? How much time are you spending? Talk about your process. Hmm, okay. Well, you know, when I was younger, um, I, I always thought that, you know, if you want to write something or if you want to uh, create, you know, any piece of art, you had to have this uh, divine inspiration or, you know, inspirational outburst or whatever you want to call it. Um, so I would, I would write very rarely. And that's the point, right? I came to realize that, well, if you're only going to write when you feel inspired, you're not going to write very much. And mm -hmm. it's going to take you, you know, 30 years to write a book. Um, <laughs> and then I remember I was reading a lot of Hemingway and I remember he said that, um, writing is discipline and i thought about that and i was like well is it really and then i started writing every day uh, and i remember when i made up my mind that i was going to write black book poems i told myself that look it doesn't matter whether you feel inspired it's just a feeling right you you but if you make a habit of writing every day so your brain will eventually you know, you will make it a habit and your brain will eventually get tuned into whatever you're looking for, you know, whatever inspiration you're looking for. And that's exactly what happened. I would write every day, you know, even if um, it would be a sentence or two, uh, you know, or only like the beginning two, three words of the poem or w what would later become the poem, I would mm -hmm. just write it down and then, you know, work on it every day and come back to it. And yeah, sure, you know, some days you would just take the pen and paper and you could write your heart out for maybe an hour until you couldn't write anymore uh, but that doesn't happen very often uh, and I think that's what a lot of aspiring writers and new writers should know mm -hmm. is that <clears throat> is that Hemingway was right it really is a discipline like everything else in life it is a discipline if you want to become good at something you have to practice it and practice it um, and when you do actually I had this conversation with a buddy of mine um, two days ago because he plays the piano um, and he said, look, man, he said, I know you're a writer. Uh, and he also asked me for my process. And I told him, look, I think maybe music is a little different. Um, but I said, look, if you want to, you know, because he told me he sits in front of the piano and if he doesn't feel it, you know, it, or he doesn't feel inspired, there's not much that he can play. So he ends up playing the same thing all over. And I told him, but if you do sit at that piano every day and just, you know, do your best and play whatever comes to mind, even though you don't feel it, if uninspired, I promise you that eventually your brain will tune in to that frequency that is needed for you to create something that is in resonance with your, you know, spirit or whatever you want to call it. So, so my process will be if I decide to, okay, I'm going to write a book. Um, then what I do, first of all, is I set a date. I always set a deadline because mm -hmm. if I don't, uh, if I don't, you know, the, the, the risk of that is, you know, you'll end up writing it for years, right? So you have to, plus it's good for your brain too, because if you set a deadline, then your brain or your mind starts, you know, okay, starts adapting because if you say, okay, well, you know, you got nine months or, you know, 
on May 5th, you're going to, you have to publish this book, then your brain starts working in harmony with that deadline and that goal. So, you know, if you do feel like, oh shit, you know, I can't write or I feel like it, you, you will, you will, because you know that you, you have to do it. Um, so I set a date and then I write every day. That's how I did my uh, short story collection as well. You know, I set a date and I said, okay, you're going to write every day. And I did that. And, um, yeah, so I write little by little. I mean, again, you know, there are days that you just, you know, you'd rather do anything else. Sure. Just that, um, that pen or your laptop or whatever. But uh, you have to do it regardless. Just write something. And actually, there's a good exercise a lot of writers can do if they don't believe this. What you can do is, you know, whenever you write something, or, and let's say it's a day when you feel, quote, unquote, inspired. So mm-hmm. what you could do is, before you start writing, you just write on top of the page, inspired, and then you start writing. And then when you sit the next day and you feel uninspired, you just write on top of the page, uninspired, and you keep writing. And I promise you that, you know, by the time, you know, the month is over, within the month, you'll, you'll look back at the writing and you're not going to see much difference in the quality of the writing. So that's a good experiment you can do. It is. You yeah. actually... I sent a friend of mine to you who um, has a very interesting life story. And she said, her name is Tara. And she mm. said, I, I think I'm ready to write my story. Mm-hmm. And she says, I know that you've got connections in certain places. Can you direct me to anyone? And I sent her to you. Mm-hmm. And I reached out to her. You two have chatted on Instagram. For those that don't know, Vincent is super available on that platform. But she uh, she said to me, you know, that you talked, you responded quickly, you gave her some advice, and she's been journaling like crazy. And I just wanted to share with you that you absolutely do have an influence on people. And it, oh, well, it's very positive. Well, thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm glad she took my advice. Because, you know, as, as you said, I truly try to be, I, I try to be as active as I can. Um, especially responding to people who read my book or people who need just, you know, advice. Uh, and especially now, because I know, you know, by the time my books come, you know, my books will come out and I'm going to become more and more involved and involved with what I'm doing and, sure. you know, starting my next project, I'm not going to have as much time. So that's why I tell people like, look, you know, if you want to ask something, ask now. Yeah. So, but yeah, you know, and, and, and again, I'm happy that she took my advice because what most people do is they'll reach out to me and it's always either, you know, hey, I, I read your book, uh, you know, I really liked it or, you know, it, it made me think this or, you know, um, whatever they have to say. And I'm very humbled when I, when I have people reach out and I, you know, I'll, 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 I'll respond and have a dialogue going if they if they would like to i mean some people just tell you hey i read your book it was awesome have a good one and that's it but you know a lot of people yeah they want to keep a dialogue but then a lot of people will also tell me like hey you know i I read your book or i saw your book and it's a bestseller you know how did you do it i'm aspiring writer and so what i will do uh is you know I'll, I'll, i'll engage in a dialogue and you know start asking questions what they're looking for why they want to publish and actually because so many people reached out, I did a, a three video series on YouTube called Writer Overnighter, where I try to give as you know as much value as I could for aspiring writers. Um, so a lot of times I'll you know I'll, I'll tell people, look, 
um, it would take me a very long time for you to write it all down on Instagram. So if you just, if you're interested, you know, you watch the videos. And if you would have any questions after watching all the three videos, you know, come back and I'll help you the best I can. And so people do that. But what most people do, unfortunately, is they'll reach out and they go, hey, Vince, you know, I'm an aspiring writer and, you know, you're, you're doing so well. Any tips? And, you know, and I'll, and I'll spend a lot of time talking with these people. And my time is very valuable to me. But, you know, again, I try to provide as much value as I can and help people. So I'll tell them, like, okay, well, you know, think about that. And if you're, you know, and this and that. And, this, and if it's your first book and no one has ever heard of you, you know, don't let your ego get in, get in the way um, of your success, you know, mm -hmm. if you're striving for success. And so I'll tell people, like, look, if you're publishing on Amazon, always go with the lowest price possible, right? So if you're publishing a Kindle version, you put it 99 cents, mm -hmm. and then your paperback, whatever, you know, you have to count the, like, number of pages and how much Amazon's going to take and how much it's going to cost them to print. But you can always set the lowest cost, which means you set a cost where it, Amazon, you know, gets their money, but you don't get any royalties. Okay. Okay. Um, and for a lot of people, I don't know, it, 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 they, they do let their ego get in the way because, you know, they feel like, well, you know, I spent so much time and effort writing it. Of course, you know, I have to charge for this, but you have to be more humble than that. I think you have to understand that, you know, as I said, if no one has ever heard of you, why would they even buy your book? I get right. it that, you know, your family and friends, you know, they'll write it and they'll do you a favor, read it and like, yeah, you know, awesome. But I mean, if I scroll... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you know, but, but but if I scroll through Amazon and I and you know your book pops out and I've never heard of you and you have barely any reviews, and you know you sell your book for fifteen bucks, right? Uh, I'm I, I mean I'm probably not going to buy it. You know, you're absolutely right. Yeah, yeah, and so and so people do that, and I, and I say okay, so you know, be humble, set the lowest price, get as many reviews as you can in the beginning. So you can gain the momentum that you need on Amazon. And then, you know, when you have your, like, uh, you know, say 30 reviews, when you have those and you have some momentum going, you know, you've made the bestseller list, then you can gradually start, you know, uh, raising the price until you reach that sweet point, right? So you have to do some experimentation. Are and you at your sweet point? Me, uh, mm, I'm not sure yet. Because uh, I think it, you know, uh, from... From what I've experienced, I think it's seasonal as well. I don't think summer is very good for books. Um, so, so this summer, I think I've sold it for, on average, I think like seven bucks or something like that for the paperback. Yes, uh, I just bought one. Oh, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> you're welcome. Um, well, when the season comes, especially like around Christmas, you can always you can always raise the price. But again, I mean, I can do it because. You know, my book has been a bestseller for ever since it was published, you know, over two years ago. And it has like 320 plus reviews. Yeah. Uh, so I can do that. And I think I have a good cover, you know, good title. But, you, you know, but what most of these people will do is they'll say, well, thank you for your advice. And, you know, I'll let you know when my book is out. You know, if you can get a copy, I'll appreciate that. And I, and I, and I say, well, yeah, sure. You know, let me know. And so, you know, two, three months will pass and then they'll contact me again like, hey, I finally published it. Check it out. You know, get a copy, please. And, you know, leave a review. I'm like, yeah, sure. 
And uh, I go to Amazon, and well, what do I see? I see a <laughs> Kindle version is nine ninety nine, and the paperback mm -hmm. is like sixteen dollars. And they have like two reviews, right? Um, and so I'm like, well, yeah, well, obviously someone who didn't listen. So uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you, you you'll have a lot of people like that. People want to turn some nothing into something overnight, and it just doesn't work. That yes, way. yes, yes. People. We will live in a uh, you know lottery mentality society, right? You um, absolutely. If you want to be rich, you know you 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 get a lottery ticket. You know you want to lose weight, you eat this uh, pills. You want to do that, you know three t steps to this, you know five steps to financial independence and whatever. So oh yeah, and I mean I think it's only natural. I think people, um, I think we are lazy by nature, if you want to call it that, because you know we're, we're we're, you know, we're created for two things, basically, right? It's, we're created to eat, to get some energy so we can survive, and we're, you know, and we're meant to procreate. And those are the two things that, you know, in our core, if you take, if you strip us from, you know, all the fancy buildings that surround us and, you know, our language and culture, whatever you have, if you strip us to the very basics, that's it. You know, we eat and we procreate. And so... I think a lot of people, um, I think most people are like that by nature. That's why you, it's so important for you to start studying and investing in yourself to understand, you know, the laws of the universe and, and, and know what you should be doing if you want to reach your goals and you, if you want to reach the life, um, you know, that you've dreamt of. Because if you don't, like most people, you know, you're only going to harmonize with all your, um, you know, inadequacies, you know. And you're just gonna do whatever's necessary, and you know, and you're gonna get a get by because you're not you're not meant out of a biological standpoint. I don't think you're meant to do anything more than what is required of you, right? Mm -hmm. uh, because you know, most people are in a survival mode, and so that's that's how that's how people live. But um, but yeah, so so that's why you know, they 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 always expect them to give them like two sentence answers and they'll implement that and they become bestsellers uh, not happening uh, uh, unfortunately so if, you, not. if you could look at, at your published work as a collection mm -hmm. what do you want people to take away from it um <clears throat> i don't want them to take anything away from it i, I want them to um i want them to you know keep a keep an open mind when they're reading it or as open as they can and be susceptible to um you know whatever resonates with them at the time when they're reading it and um because you know i i think i've i did talk to someone about this about you know is there a message in your books no i don't think there's a, any particular message or some hidden message i think that um Especially when it comes to poetry, I think people have to kind of apply themselves to whatever they're reading, um, because you know, as you said in the beginning, yeah, I don't like to explain my poetry because it would take away the whole, um, you know, the whole purpose of it. Because if you read something and interpret it in one way, and it's very significant to you, and maybe it is like a could also be in like an emotionally impactful event, or like it triggers some feelings or memories. And then you have that, or maybe it takes you to a very good place, 
And then I, I come along and I say, well, you know what? Actually, that's not at all what I'm talking about. You know, right. and I ruin the whole thing for you. So, well, and I know for me, I have read all of your work multiple times and I take something different away each time. And I think it's important mm. for, um, I think it, I think it gives validation for the reader to hear you say that I want it to mean whatever it means for you. Mm, mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's a very good point, actually, that every time you read something, um, you, you take something, you know, every time there's something new. Um, and, and that's, you know, the same thing is, I think, with any, like movies, for example, right? You, sure. you can watch a film when you're 20, and then you can watch it again when you're 30, and then again when you're 40, and every time you watch it, you there's something, you know, it's a completely different movie to you. The movie itself is the same, but I think your level of awareness has changed, right? And you become a different person, so you see things differently. Or you know, you're in a place in your life where maybe you're seeking something, right? So uh, you ever, you know, if you're a very happy person and you know you're in tune and very in harmony, you know, with the laws of the universe, uh, and you read my poetry, and like, oh, okay, cool. Uh, that's you know i read this poem and you know it, it felt great and made me think of my mom and you know i love my mom or you know whatever it might be and then maybe you know a few years later you're in a very bad place and you read the same poems and you're like oh shit you know this is a whole different ball game now so so yeah i mean it's all perception you know it, and and whatever you whatever you're in tune with whatever vibration i would say you're in at the moment whatever frequency you're on that's what what you're gonna gravitate towards um, do you have a so, favorite yeah. poet do i have a favorite poet um i would say uh, if i have to choose i would say william blake probably is it yeah. is he someone that you go back to often um you know he's 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 one of those guys who was way ahead of his time um, and, you know, a visionary and, uh, just, you know, wrote the most sublime, uh, poetry that I've ever come across. Uh, not to say, look again, you know, I want to, I want to make this clear that just because, you know, all good poetry don't have to be, you know, what I call sublime or, you know, subconscious. No, it could be, you know, you could read a poem and it's very superficial as far as it's on the surface, right? There's, you know, what you read is what you get. And yeah, you can read that and you're like, hmm, okay. That's good, right? Um, kind of like your poem that says, this is a poem. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah, yeah. So, so you know, there's no, there's no, I don't think there's a set formula to what good poetry is. I think, again, you know, it's whatever it means to you. But, um, but I think the thing about William Blake is, and I think this is, in my opinion, again, I think this is true for all good poetry, not good for all excellent poetry, is the fact that, you know, you can read a poetry or, or a poem once, twice, you can read for a month, you can, you know, read the same poem for, I don't know, five years. And at the end of that fifth year, you know, you'll, you, you'll, you'll have that, oh, shit, I, I think I know, you know, I think I know what it means. Sure. Right? So, so I think that's what separates a really good poem or any piece of art for that matter from, you know, something that's, uh, you know, okay or, yeah, you know, not bad, but 
I think all the excellent writers, because I think when because I think William Blake was on such a high frequency and it was operating on such a different level when he was alive, and his and I think his level of awareness was insane. Like has a he had a very high level of awareness. So when he was writing, and you know what I've also realized actually now, especially studying a lot, you know, working with the laws of the universe, I think when it comes to poetry or music, actually, for that matter, if I am on a certain level of awareness what I'm, or on, on a certain frequency what I'm writing that, I think for you to understand or, you know, whatever you want to call that understanding or, you know, for you to feel that, I think you have to be on the same frequency or vibration or, you know, level of awareness or whatever you call it as, you know, the artist who did it. Because I know it sounds crazy, but I'll give you a good example. You know, when I'm when I was writing my second book, uh, Black Book of Holmes Two, uh, and you know, it, this was one of those times where I I wrote literally for like two hours. I was on a very high vibe, and I would just you know would write and write and write, and I couldn't stop. And you know, and when I took a break, uh, a quick break, and I was listening to I don't remember what song it was. It could be Dylan or could be like system of a down or something but i've listened to lyrics and i was like and i'd heard that song a million times but when i was on that you know when i was on that frequency i, I heard the lyrics and i was like oh wow i get it i think i get it right because when i was writing my own stuff i had to tune in you know on the frequency that was required of me to express myself so and because I was there, I could tune in or tap into, you know, whatever frequency that artist was when they were writing that thing. And I know it sounds very, you know, spooky to 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 some or you know. I don't know that but... I would call it spooky, but you know, what I'm thinking of as as I'm listening to this is, I said to you quite some time ago that I felt like you had a really old soul, mm. and that's that's what I'm hearing from you right now. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, and, you know, I'm, I'm 28 now, but I think already when I was um, 19, when I moved to the U.S., people wouldn't believe me when I would tell them, like, hey, you know, yeah, I am 19 or, you know, I am 20. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think part of that is also growing up, um, growing up with two older brothers and a mom who had to work, you know, 50,000 jobs to make uh, ends meet. Um, so I think it kind of forces you to... to uh, mature and grow up a little faster than your peers um it, it, you know it's kind of a you have to right because yeah. you, you 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 can't be on the same level as your peers who you know who have a family intact or you know who have uh well you know whatever is necessary for a uh for a, for a kid so yeah, that traditional so yeah, I think, fun yeah, yeah 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 so yeah i think you have to kind of um grow up a little faster so i think that's what happened so i would like you to read something for us anything sure. that you choose um well now that i am here and uh, with bob proctor um actually when i wrote my second book uh, the last poem is called don't take your talents to your grave um and that was actually one of those poems that it just almost came out in one sitting mm -hmm. So when I was writing it, it just 
you know, like even the rhymes and everything. I, I, I think I barely changed like any words or anything from that poem as I was writing it in one sitting. Um, so that's my, so that's when I was, you know, talking about before that, yeah, sure, you can have those days where you can just write something that makes total sense and you, and you have to, you know, you barely have to edit it. And then some days you're going to work on that piece for, I don't know, weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the poem is called Don't Take Your Talent to Your Grave. And it was kind of an ode to, uh, Mr. Proctor because, you know, it was, it was really him. As I said, you know, I went from sleeping in my car, literally, uh, to, you know, becoming a best-selling author and, and eventually getting a publishing deal and, you know, and being very, uh, and being on a very good vibe um, because, you know, he helped me understand uh, why we feel a certain way, why we don't get the results we want. And so, so yeah, so the poem is called Don't Take Your Talents to a Grave. Uh, I don't have the book on me, but I hope my memory doesn't fail me. <laughs> I think if it does a little bit, it'll be okay since it belongs to you. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. So it goes something like this. Don't take your talents to your grave. Don't drown your inner voice in noise. Don't let your family, friend, or foe dishearten you from wanting more. When time has wiped your chips away and no more hands are left to play, regret will plague your dreams at night and tyrannize your tortured mind. Life will wink and pass you by and flood the corners of your eyes. When on your deathbed frail and gray in fear and trembling, you shall lay. Fortune smiles upon the brave. Don't take your talents to your grave. Thank you. Thank you. <sighs> yeah, I didn't I forget it. it. Didn't forget it. I actually, you know, I, I said that I wanted you to read something and I thought maybe I should ask him to read something that I like, but sure. I decided that, that was selfish. I'm not, no, no, no I'm not no, going to do that. do that. Well, but you know what? That was one of my choices. So I'm happy with it. Okay. All right. I'm very happy. So just to wrap up, you know, this, this is a tennis podcast. Mm -hmm. So I am just going to ask you, tell me who your favorite player is. And then I'll see if you and I can still be friends after this. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Active player or all players? How about both? Give me your favorite all time and your favorite active. Well, you know, since Sweden has become part of my heritage, I guess, and you know, part of my culture, I would say Bjorn Boy was okay. a was a very solid player. Um, out of actives, I would say Federer. Oh, Vincent, I love you. Oh, he, oh, he's <laughs> very good. We are, we are all good now. Yeah, all right. yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for doing this. It was a pleasure. My pleasure. I have enjoyed it very much. Um, I want to let everyone know that Vincent has three books available for purchase on Amazon, and I will link them in the comments. Outstanding. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you.